0: Hi, you're listening to Siren Radio with me, Andrew David, doing all that clever stuff at around about quarter to four on Thursday, the 28th of October. That's when we're recording this particular edition of American Cousins, which you may be listening to uh, later on in the afternoon in the United Kingdom on Thursday, or on the repeat on Saturday morning, or via any other means, including, of course, Siren Radio's podcast service, which is sirenradio.podbean.com, or you can find it on the front page of our website. That's sirenonline.co.uk. At this time, I simply say pressing buttons and asking him, Mister Skype, can you connect me with the man cave in Los Angeles and see if our friend Bruce K. Rosenblum is there? Are you there, Bruce?
1: Yes, I am, Andrew. Great to hear your voice. Uh, much much needed because it's been a it's been a really tough week.
0: Okay so we yeah. normally have a longer back chat and you said no please let's get on with it um I, i've got something i want to talk about
1: Yeah well there's a couple things this morning and i think you know part of the charm of american cousins is it's not always just about politics and what's going on in that world i mean it's things that you know you and i relate to that have impacted our lives and i just think that um you know it's it's, it's i think that's what you know helps people connect with us is because we t- we talk about things that are that 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 happen that have happened mm-hmm. to us shared experiences from across the pond and all that but absolutely um, have got two pieces of, of of not great news um my son's father in law evan's father in law Stu billet passed away this week and Stu is the creator and the producer of a little little television show called the people's Court
0: oh yes, we know it Yeah. Which
1: has been on for over 40 years and Stu had a great impact on my life when I joined a company called Telepictures in 1981. He had just put, um, Telepictures had just distributed the show, put it on the air and I came into the company and he was the first producer I ever worked with. And um, he embraced my, my research skills and, and we helped, you know, keep the people's court on the air for many, many years. It's still on the air today. It's been on for 40 years now. And um and I was, you know, in my boss's office one morning, you know, looking through rating books and when a phone call came in and Stu had just told my boss that um he, he had he and his wife Lucy had a little girl named Samantha. Hmm. Well little would I know that um you know, many years later that my son Evan and Samantha would date and then get married and then have two beautiful grandchildren. And so, um, Stu's passing uh, hit me hard this week. It was, um, you know, he was, he was really somebody special in my life and one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. He was just, you know, he was a Bronx born, Bronx, New York born, um, great sense of humor, really smart, really loved the television business. And, um, it's a tremendous loss. He was a four time Emmy award winner, daytime Emmy winner for the show. So anyway, my condolences to my daughter-in-law and son and, and to his wife, Lucy and, you know, his hopefully his memory will be a blessing to all whose lives he touched, and he touched many so but the other thing I wanted to talk about, Andrew um, in that just before i you and I connected this morning, I got a note from a very dear friend of mine, uh, a woman named Jean Goldberg. Uh, Jean will be eighty in February, and Jean worked for me for many years. She was one of the best advertising research people. In the business and, um, very smart and not only which did was she an employee of mine, but I, but she mentored me in many ways. And when we, and she's, she's like family. And I got a note that, um, this morning she told me she has late stage pancreatic cancer and she's going to be battling that. And that, that, that really hit me hard. And, and I just want to tell you, you know, you talk about like six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where to begin to start with this, but Gina is, she's, she's so cool and she's a theater aficionado and she lives down the hall in her apartment in New York. She lives down the hall from a guy named Chris Curtis, who is one of the top lyricists in the, uh, in the theater these days. He, he wrote the music and he wrote a play called Chaplin. Oh yes. Which was, um, went on Broadway, made it to Broadway and, um, Rob Rob McClure, who played Chaplain in the show, um, was up for a Tony Award, but he lost to um, oh Billy Porter, who won for um, Kinky Boots that year.
0: Oh yeah, Yeah.
1: and they were both the big shows on Broadway, and Rob McClure lost to to Chris Curtis. But you know, Gene and her love of the theater loved living down loves living next to Chris. I mean, they're, Mm -hmm. they're they're best friends, and when she first found out who he was and they became close friends she says i have to tell you about this guy that lives down the hall from me his name is chris curtis he's the greatest guy he, he writes plays and music and he's so talented and you've got to meet him you've got to meet him well i ended up in new york jackie and i ended up in new york one time on a on a trip and we had breakfast with gene and chris and it t- turns out we knew chris before gene knew chris chris went to school at san diego state he lived in los angeles he worked at a restaurant um, not too far from where we live at a restaurant called uh, cafe giuseppe and chris created a whole concept of singing waiters and what the staff would do is he would play piano and the staff were all waiters who could sing and they all sang show tunes so you could be having dinner and all of a sudden he would stop and they would play like something from Phantom of the Opera or from Les Mis or something. <laughs> you know. And it was, it was amazing. And Chris was the piano player at this restaurant and left to move. He moved to New York in 1990, 1994 after we had the, the major earthquake out here and it was, it was such a small world. And then uh, <laughs> we would frequent another restaurant, um, and it turned out the owner of this restaurant was the guy that owned just – he he had owned just the Cafe Giuseppe before it closed after the earthquake. And he was the guy that brought Chris in. So I reconnected this guy and Chris as well. So I, I have more connections to Chris than Gene, which, which <laughs> is funny. But but what was really – what is really cool and, and one of my most favorite memories about Gene and Chris is that um, on a trip to New York, for um, we were there, and it was Jillian, my daughter – um, who you know very well. It was her 21st birthday, and Jean and Chris. Chris was a piano player. He he was friends with Josephine Baker's not her son, but Josephine Baker. If you know the story behind her, like took in like 13 kids. They were like her adopted children, and she she raised them and took care of them. And Jean Claude Jean Claude who took the name Baker. Jean Claude Baker. Was the oldest of these children. He he opened up a restaurant, and he called it Josephine's in the theater district, and Chris and Chris played piano there. And in the place, they had all of Josephine Baker's you know memorabilia or paraphernalia or whatever. It was. Like her most famous thing was that big headdress that she wore when she you know she was. And for Jillian's twenty-first birthday, Chris had her come and sit on the piano. And he sang happy birthday to her. And the whole place sang. And then Jean-Claude put the head, Josephine's headdress, her famous headdress on Jillian. And they danced around the restaurant together. And that was, and that was all, all happened because, because of Jean. And that, and and she's just a special person in my life. And I just, and she's a listener in New York. So I'm sure she'll be listening to this at some point. And I just want to give a shout out that I hope her treatment goes well. She, she's, She's family to us. She's, she she would give you the shirt off her back. She's one of the most generous, caring, loving people I know. And um, that was a hard piece of news to take us. Personally, my mother had pancreatic cancer and and she passed from it. And it was a very hard 18 months that we went through um, back then. So um, anyway, I, I just, you know.
0: OK, you you trip. are not going you're not going to believe what I'm now going to share with you. Uh, first of all, um, we know Evan and we know Samantha. Evan has been a guest on Sara Radio when he brought his, uh, his former boss at TMZ onto the programme when we were at Vegas. So to Evan, Samantha and all the family and indeed to you and the f- extended family, um, our heartfelt sympathies at this time with Stu's passing. And yes, the People's Court, well known in the United Kingdom. We can get it on any of those other channels. So, um, uh, And lovely to hear that story. But the gene story, you talk about six degrees of separation. Uh, I don't know, Gene, but there is a connection and you are not going to believe this. I hope you're sitting down. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first connection is a is a darker one. My mother, too, uh, uh, lived with pancreatic cancer for a number of years. And and, you know, it took her from us eventually. But, Gene, the connection with Chris and then the connection that you've just explained with JD Baker and Josephine Baker I have a family connection Okay you're bit. sitting down Bruce okay I'm sitting Right my name is Andrew David it's actually Andre David I'm not being partial or up or myself my grandfather was French my father's father who I never knew he never knew his father um was Louis David he was an actor and he met my English grandmother, um, who was a dancer with a, a, a classically trained British dancer who actually went to work at the Folies Bergère in France in the late 1920s. So, very possibly, and we'd think definitely, danced with or in the chorus of Josephine Baker when she was there with that headdress. So, so my oh. family. If you like um, a tangential side connection with this story, and you and I, I have to say to anybody listening, the way we set this up, Bruce and I normally do 15 minutes worth of chat beforehand to go through stories. He just came on onto Skype and said, "Look, I want to go straight into this because some things have happened this week, and I want you to react to it." I had no idea you were going to talk about Josephine Baker. It's an amazing story, uh, the way she, she did taking children. And the, the, that is just, uh, as your expression is blow my mind. And uh-huh. actually what it does, I think, is to show how small the world is, how fabulously small sometimes the world can be that we are connected by more than divides us, which is why when we have silly fallings out between countries and governments and all sorts of things like that, it is so pathetic because there is much, much more that unites us Um, and uniting us slightly in grief. But the storytelling that you've just done and hopefully uh, the bit of the story that I've just shared, we don't know very much about my grandfather, my French grandmother. I don't know anything about my English grandmother. But we do know that she was dancing in the Folly Bergère at the same time that people like Josephine Baker were starring. And of course, that headdress is fantastic. Uh, she did have other um, things which made her um, uh, popular with the, um, <laughs> with the with the theatre-going public. But we're not going to go there. But I, I had no idea you were going to talk about that. So my message to Jean: Hang in there. Um, it, as you know, it's it's tough when this sort of thing happens. But Jean, thank you for bringing us together in quite an extraordinary way that neither you nor I had any idea 10 minutes ago when we started this conversation, Bruce.
1: And, and also the other the other English connection, I believe, is wasn't uh, Charlie Chaplin from originally from the United Kingdom?
0: Yes, he was. Yes, I uh, can't tell you exactly where he's from, but yes, he is very much. Um, so yeah, so the, this whole thing has um,
1: ties on, on both continents, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Some exactly- of Gene's good friends... Um, uh, she, she travels to England a lot. So, you know, she has she has quite a few ties to to the United Kingdom. So uh, it's a small world. And, you it know, we're all, we're all we've all touched each other in some way, shape or form, I'm, I'm sure. So but um, you what a great story about your, your family as well. I, mean,
0: well I, I did want to equip clips yours. I've just found that Charlie Chaplin was born in Walworth, which is an area in London. Uh, he was born in 1889 there. So uh, so that wraps that uh, in a sort of nice, neat, tight bundle. Actually, talking about London and mm-hmm. the south of England, it uh, takes us to the first of the couple of subjects we're now going to cover. But, you know, I think many people would sitting there thinking, what a fabulous set of stories, even though st- they both started from a very sad perspective. Um, we are caught up in two things today. Uh, the preparations for something called COP26. And I think your man's coming to it, isn't he?
1: Yes, he is. Biden is, um, I think he's leaving today for, for COP26. Um, he wanted to make sure that um, he had his infrastructure bill pretty much uh, put together before, before he makes the trip. And this is going to be a big trip for him. Um, he's also going to stop in the Vatican to meet with the Pope, by the way. I don't know if you're aware of that, but um, um, this is a climate summit. It's a U.N. climate summit that the COP26 is, and uh, Biden's going to give a speech. And I think he's going to be there to reinforce his, um, commitment to, to the international community, uh, about, uh, climate change. I think he's going to speak about, uh, and be a part of discussions regarding the, the world crisis we have with, uh, the, the supply chain and all these boats that are, uh, these ships that are out at sea with all these containers that are not getting offloaded and, um, he's going to reassure the international community, uh, community again on um, leadership on on other critical issues um, i'm sure that um, you know sewing up uh, you know shoring up our alliances and um again but the, the the most important thing he's going to hopefully take a leadership role in is the climate change issue so
0: and, and of course just leaping in um we remember uh, one of your former presidents um Uh, with the Kyoto agreement where they had another one of these sorts of meetings. They were trying to reduce emissions and things like that. Uh, And it was um, George Bush, the uh, the senior George Bush, who Mm -hmm. rather railed back on uh, what they were promising to do, because, of course, back then, you were very much involved in consuming coal-fired power stations and and oil and things like that, and the concessions which were being asked for, and that was twenty odd least years ago, I think, uh, were were going to help with the problems we su- were suffering from now, but um, they were watered down. Yeah, you know. Big, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say one of the big things with bringing all these people together in Glasgow, where I think it's actually going to be incredibly wet. Uh, which is one of the problems, the challenges that many parts of the world are now suffering from because of the change in our climate. We don't want op- empty promises. We don't want clever words. We don't want clever press releases. We don't want clever soundbites. We want action and not just a commitment to action. We want them to be bringing to the table. This is what we're doing now and this is what we're going to do. Yeah,
1: And I think that um, Biden will talk about some of the things that are in his infrastructure bill that will be, you know, showing what America's part will be in, in in going more green than than fossil fuel, and and it's interesting because as he's getting ready to leave, um, fossil fuel executives, so oil company executives, are preparing to get grilled by Congress really? for the first time today about disinformation on the climate crisis and the role that oil companies have played in it. So. Uh, things are going to get interesting. I mean, he's, he's going on this trip to talk about, you know, take a leadership role in climate change. He's got the infrastructure bill, which has money built in to, to help combat cl- um, the climate crisis. And at the same time, the fossil fuel companies are going to be getting their rear ends grilled uh, by Congress about the role that they've been playing in, in the, this, the disinformation they've been putting out about the climate crisis. So.
0: It was nineteen ninety seven, the Kyoto Agreement. So I can't remember which of your Bush. I'm pretty sure it's George Bush Senior, wasn't it, who was uh, who was involved in that one? Oh, yeah, um, I it was. Has he managed to get the infrastructure bill? Because last week, when we were chatting, you were saying there were a couple of uh, senators who were causing um, some disquiet and 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 kicking up a bit of dust.
1: You yeah, know, Joe amazing. Senator Joe Manchin and Christine Christine Sinema from Manchin from West Virginia, Sinema from Arizona, have been you know big the biggest squeaky wheels and or the biggest flies in the ointment so to speak but um biden has pulled out all the stops to bring the parties together to to try to unite his own party between the moderates and the and the progressives and they've scaled this thing down now to about 1.75 trillion but one of the things they struck down that mansion didn't believe needed to be in the bill was the paid family leave um so that was that was cut out and um there are some other little things, um, that the progressives wanted that came out, but apparently the word is that Democrats seem to be all on board. Biden's going to meet with them, I guess, when he gets back from his trip. And then, uh, the House, the Senate has already, you know, given their, their thumbs up to this, so. It's a matter of now what the progressives in the House will do, if they're going to get in the way of it or if it's going to go through. I, I think they'd be crazy to hold this thing up. I mean, you know, the American people want the things that are in this bill. I mean, they want the infrastructure. They want the, the, the things that deal with, uh, uh you know, clean energy, clean water, roads, bridges, airports, create, creation of jobs. Um So – um you know, a lot, there's a lot of that in there that, that the American people want. Um, you know, some of the socialist aspects of it, which the Republicans don't like and, and even Cinema and Mansion didn't like, I mean, some of those painful cuts have been made, like uh, tuition-free college, um, the, the paid family leave. Uh, it, it's going to, they're going to have to find other ways to get those things. But the big thing is that Biden needs this infrastructure bill to go. I mean, he's got to have a win here. And I think that for the most part, um, I think you know, people that I talk to seem to think that he's doing a pretty good job. I mean, he's, he's got his nose to the grindstone. He's been dealing with the, with the pandemic. Um, he's been slowly, but surely working hard to bring the parties together. Um, this, this infrastructure bill is a big deal for him. It, it really is. Um, he needs it because um you know, the, the debacle in Afghanistan didn't help him at all. But I think that you know, you know, as time passes, that kind of fades into the background a little bit, and and what becomes more more of a targeted issue is the 2022 midterms, and then ultimately 2020 2024, the presidential oh, race. Right. Oh my goodness! I thought we we don't just recovered from last year. And- uh, so if the Democrats are going to hold on to any seats in the Senate or the House. This, this bill has to, they have to have something to hang their hat on and uh, And I think it will i th- I think it will because I think there's a lot of Republicans out there that that are in states where this stuff i mean, I have to tell you just in you know just in my own community here um and you've been on my street the the streets around here are pathetic i mean potholes and we have sixty year old pine trees with roots that are causing sidewalks to lift and in, in the streets and and the flooding that that happens here is unbelievable so you know, and the craziest thing happened. We had Zendaya, the actress. Uh, she does a, a show for HBO, a very popular like teen show that takes place in a high school. I don't know the exact name of it, but they but they 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 filmed at the elementary school right across the street from our house, and that elementary school has has just um, completed three years of high tech upgrades. This is probably one of the most modern elementary schools for kindergarten through like fifth grade that you've ever seen in your life. Um, it, it's it's unbelievable, and they the the, the production company um, rented out the school over the summer, and they made it clear they said if we're gonna if we're going to shoot at this school, the city has to upgrade the streets around here because they're undrivable and it took a a a popular tv show to get the city of los angeles to approve funding to redo the streets and i have to tell you when when infrastructure gets gets upgraded and repaired it is unbelievable difference that all the streets around here now are are nicely are newly paved newly marked um we had a rain the other day there was no flooding um your, your, your car is not bottoming out when you hit a bump or your tires aren't popping because you're hitting a pothole. So, you know, this is just on a local level. So you can imagine in a, well, in a trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar spending bill for the entire country. What that's going to mean for bridges and airports and railways and And, and, and also for,
0: for some of your uh, fabulously historical infrastructure, we're talking about roads. Um, Debbie and I have driven large parts of Route 67, but large parts of it in some of the states, I think California and Nevada and Arizona. Somebody's going to shout at me. It doesn't go through some of those states. Um, it's It's shut. Uh, The old road is shut because it's just in such a terrible condition. And you just think, well, that's iconic. That's something that should be should should be preserved and and looked after. Okay, let's quickly move on, because there's a very funny couple. Well, hopefully a couple of funny little things to finish with Um, vaccines for your children. Has that got approval? Because we're again, we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. Vaccine approval for children is coming. Um, the CDC, her, we, I think they, they, they approved, they approved the, uh, the Pfizer, um, the, the results for Pfizer were, were overwhelmingly positive, like a 91% Makes of, you know, efficiency rating. Um, but there's, you know, for every bit of good news, there's always some, you know, some fly in the ointment that's going to, going to muck things up. And there was a, a Kaiser Foundation study done with parents that are saying, you know, oh, well, not so fast. There's about one-third of the parents that were surveyed in the study said, we're not running out so fast to get our kids vaccinated. <clears throat> so that will be a new political football, whether they vaccinate kids or not, but a, a, but a number like that, a third of people.
0: That's that's uh, not good.
1: It's not a good number, and so we'll have to see. But, you know, uh, my grandkids, I have a six-year-old. I have a four-year-old turning five in December. Um, Evan's daughter, Sydney's six, so. Um, they're, you know, they're not going to hold out. They're going to, they're going to vaccinate. Interesting
0: that... On the day we're talking about this, which is uh Thursday the twenty eighth of October, around about ten past four in the UK. Just heard on the news that Russia I know it's got nothing to do with America, uh, but you know, people thinking it's all over and we can go back and we you know we have to wear masks. Russia have imposed um some more stringent knockdowns because all of a sudden they've had a huge burst in infections. Um and so, you know, we really do need to do anything and everything we possibly can, and particularly with youngsters, because in the UK the infection rate is highest among young people, not amongst people like you and me, um, who are in our sixth decade, should I say. <laughs> yeah, Put like it's, that, it doesn't sound so bad, does it? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know,
1: nobody's immune to this t- pandemic. I mean, that's why it's called a pandemic. Everybody in the world um, is being affected by this. Um, so, you know, it, the economies are still troubled. We have, you know, the impact of the 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 supply chain, uh, you know, we have all these programs. I mean, everybody's already – I mean, we haven't even had Thanksgiving or Halloween yet, or Halloween and Thanksgiving in this country. Halloween, October 31st, and Thanksgiving, end of November, before Christmas. And yet, all the stores are – all the Christmas decorations are up, and they're – because of the supply chain issue, they're trying to advertise alternative ways for, for people to, to, to buy gifts and, and think about buying gifts differently because – a lot of the toys are on these containers that are not being unloaded and not being distributed. So oh, it's amazing. Will, you know, Christmas will be interesting. Um, but this pandemic, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's troubling. Uh, although the, in the United States, we are, we are seeing numbers going down, but the continually every day clear warnings to not, you know, be indoors in large groups of people continue to wear the masks, get vaccinated because they, the last thing they want to see now, as we head into flu season, and I'll be getting my flu shot next week, by the way, another, <laughs> um, is, you know, this, this could, you know, we could I'm see relaxed. it. So we got to be, we can't, we can't let our guard down, but you know, in the last year, I've had my shingle shot. I've had my whooping cough shot. I've had flu shot three, um, shots for COVID. I had my pneumonia
0: shot. I, I feel like a. Human pin, pin cushion. Pin cushion. Absolutely. <laughs> now then, you send me each week a running order of things we can talk about. And we are going to talk about the Dodgers. Everybody's saying what's happened to your Dodgers. Well, we'll get to that in a minute because there's a bittersweet moment because your, uh, your son's team has actually managed to sweeten some of the pain you've had. But the next item has still yes. got me chuckling. There was a <laughs> mistype. France. Oh. Go on. You, you tell me. Okay. What
1: you, said. you tell, okay. you tell better than me. What
0: you actually sent me is in the running was France and the United Kingdom are fighting over dining rights. And I looked at this and I thought, what? I know we've fought with the French about a lot of things. And then there's a little, oops, not sorry, meant fishing rights, not dining rights. The the thought of us going to uh, you and your your garlic mushrooms and your escargot. We like our fish and chips over here (laughs) and sort of battle lines drawn in the middle of the English Channel. But yes, actually, I'm laughing about it because and I perhaps shouldn't just to give you some context. When we came out of Europe, the Brexit thing and all the rest of it, um, there are a whole range of uh, of things which then went up in the air, including where fishermen can fish. And each country that has a um, a wet border, if you like, uh, has a sort of area that is theirs for their fishermen to fish in. But, of course, where we are in Europe, and we're surrounded by the North Sea, the English Channel, the Irish Sea and things like that, um, the the hides cannot be drawn specifically. So there were quotas for who could fish what in what waters. Um, And apparently... Uh, although I haven't double checked this. They have a they've impounded one British fishing trawler. It's not big. It's a little it's not it's not a huge great Icelandic cod thing. It's a small thing. And apparently it had the wrong license or didn't have a license at all. So the French literally said, OK, you're arrested. You're nicked. We're taking oh, no. you. And, you know, in comparison to the way we started this program today, you just have to say, as our dear friend, Professor Brian Winston, always says in these occasions, gents or everybody, just wake up and smell the coffee because, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, well, well, no, uh, but I, I think <laughs> your misprint really, really is actually a much better idea because English cooking is so much more superior to the French. Although, of course, you know having revealed on <laughs> part French, I have to say, oh, no, I must not talk like that because my grandfather will be striking me down with a wet kipper or <laughs> something. <laughs> I mean, you, know,
1: like you know, what's so crazy, you know, that probably in a couple of weeks we'll be talking about dining rights.
0: <laughs> that'll, now,
1: that'll all of a sudden become an issue. You know, where where people in England can go to have their dinners and where people in France can travel to have theirs, you know. Well,
0: oh, let's let's my a smile off your face, but put it back on. Let's talk about uh, baseball. The oh, ooh, didn't. But your son came back and, and put a smile back in your face. Just explain for the final couple of minutes of the program.
1: Well, you know, we've been following the Dodgers all year, <laughs> a lot of people are going to say,
0: good no. riddance,
1: thank God this is over, so we don't have to hear him talk about this anymore. The Dodgers got eliminated from the playoffs, and uh, they did not make the World Series this year, and um, for a number of different reasons, from injuries, just lack of execution, um, they just couldn't. Hit when they needed to hit, and uh, ended up um, on the on the losing end of a best out of seven uh, series. So, the Atlanta Braves are now playing the Houston Astros in the World Series. There are two games in the series; is tied one game apiece. So, there's uh, five games left. Day off today. They move to Atlanta now for for three games, and then if needed, back to Houston for two. So, so commiserations, Bruce. But you you know you you got to the playoffs. Yeah, no, it was a great year. Um, can't complain about that. They fought through a lot of adversity with a lot of injuries, but you know, the injuries weren't the reason they lost. I mean, they still had a, a lot of depth and a good team. They just, they just, they just failed to execute. You know, they just like that movie, failure to launch. They, they just failed. To <laughs> they just couldn't, but- they just couldn't get it done. And, um, so, but now a lot of the players on their team become what they call free agents. So they're able to go out and test the market and, and, uh, Listen to offers from other teams, and there's a lot of players in the Dodgers that are that are free agents. So um, this could be a, a big rebuilding year, or you know, for the Dodgers, getting you know, they'll maybe bring up a lot of young players, or they'll 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 they've got a lot of money they can spend. So you know, maybe they'll pick up some free agents themselves. But the, the Dodger team next year will probably not look a lot like the Dodger team this year. A lot a lot is going to change. But um, you know can't complain they, they they had the second best record in baseball they played the team with the best record in baseball which is usually how the world series used to be played the two best records and the Dodgers when they played the Giants won that series so in my mind that was the world series yeah. I mean yeah. cuz that was the best that was the they beat the best team 3 out of 5 in that first round but you know you can't complain you got you, nope. you know every, you know the last 10 years they've made the playoffs every year they've been in the world series 3 or 4 times they won the world series once You know, um, you can't be too greedy, you know, because these dynasties only last for so long. Like, the Atlanta Braves were the dynasty of the 90s. They were in the World Series and won the league every year. And it's been since 1999 since they've been in the World Series. So, after 20 years, you know, it's time for a new team to be in there. Um, you got to hand it to them. They played played great baseball. Um, The Houston Astros, though, were the team that got caught cheating in the 2017 when they played the Dodgers. And when they came to L.A. to play some games this year, it would, things got really ugly. Um And I, I just think that if the Dodgers had played the Astros in the World Series when the games got back to L.A., it would have—I think it would have just tainted the mm-hmm. the whole, you know, pomp and circumstance of the of the World Series. So I'm kind of glad the Dodgers aren't there. Um,
0: okay, so, so that, to, there's oh, a reason so though that so you're you're, sti- you're still smiling because your family came to the rescue, so to speak.
1: Yeah, so to speak. So we, you know, last week we we talked about we were going down to Murrieta, yep. which is um, in Temecula, which is kind of wine country just north of San Diego.
0: Been there and tasted
1: the wine. It's fabulous. Yeah, it it's depends. about two hours. It's about an hour and a half, two hour drive from here. And um, it, it's a whole different culture politically, by the way. It's really, really as liberal as it is up here. It's very conservative, right wing down there. A lot of gun stores, a lot of gun shops. But. Um, Anyway, my son um, took a job as a football coach in American American football, and and anybody who's followed the NFL in London knows the kind of game we're talking about. Indeed. And So it was the big rivalry game down in Murrieta. It was Murrieta Valley High School, which is uh, my son's team, and they were playing a a team called Vista Murrieta. Now, Murrieta Valley is a small high school, but in terms of its population, student population, Vista Murrieta has a 4000 student population. That is tremendous. And so they draw the best athletes. They have a marching band that's like 250 strong. Wow. They're very patriotic. There's American flags everywhere. And it was an environment for a high school football game like I've never seen in my life. There was over 10,000 people there. Goodness. And it was it was it was it was that big of a deal. Well, my son's team Has a great passing offense. So if you're familiar with the NFL, you know, the quarterbacks that like Tom Brady and those guys, I mean, they have a quarterback that throws the football down the field Mm -hmm. and he has what they, he has good uh, receivers or people that can catch the football and run with it. Yep. So they score most of their points by passing. Well, the other team doesn't have a passing game. They have a running game. So they get most of their yards, uh, and, and points by running the ball. So as it turned out. My son's team had a, had a great offensive night, uh, but they couldn't, and the other team couldn't stop their passing, but the other team had a great running attack and our team couldn't stop the run. Right. So, the game, so they traded scores from the very beginning. So we had the ball first and we went down the field and scored and got the extra point. So scoring an extra point was consistent for both teams throughout the game. So by the fourth quarter, it was 42 to
0: 42. Oh my goodness.
1: And the lead changed a couple of times. So the team that had to play catch up, you know, in that kind of a game, it was the team that, you know, was at the disadvantage, you know, they, cause they almost had to score to stay, to stay even. So my son's team was ahead and then they had a series where they couldn't score and the other team got the ball back and they did score. So we had to play catch up. Well, there was a, a turn of events in late in the game where we got, we stopped them. And we went down and scored and took the advantage back. So it was 42 to 35. Then their team got the ball, and it was 42 to 42. We got the ball back. We scored. It was 49 to 42, and there was about a minute left in the game. (sighs) And there was this one kid on the other team that was so incredibly fast. I've never seen a kid like this in my life. And he was so good at running back the ball. So they it's a 100-yard field. They kick off at, like, the 25-yard line on one side, and they kick the ball down. And this kid gets it at the goal line, and he runs 50 yards back. And it's like he was doing that all night, and nobody could understand why they kept kicking to him. But they did, and so they got the ball. And, of course, they ran the ball right down the field again. And so with a probably about 50 seconds left, it's 49-48. And so they line up to kick the extra point to make it 49-49. Well, if they tie the game at 49-49 and nobody scores in that last couple of seconds, then they have to go to overtime. And so the other team lined up to kick, and it turned out to be a fake kick. They they passed the ball backwards to the kicker who then ran with the ball, and instead of getting a one-point kick, they were going for what they called the two-point conversion right which means you have to run you have to run the ball into the into the to the goal or pass the ball into the goal and so this kid took the ball and he started to run towards the goal and as they were about to tackle him he passes it and the receiver in the end zone dropped the ball ah. so it was 49 to 48 so the other team had to kick off to us with like 50 seconds left but they had three timeouts left so there was a there was a, a remote chance they could stop us all the timeouts and then get the ball back um which so they so what what and that's what happened they 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 tried what they called an onside kick where they kicked the ball short and they try to recover it after it's gone 10 yards and if that's the case they get to keep the ball <clears throat> but they did that but our guys recovered it and all we needed to do was be able to control the ball for 10 yards uh so that we get four plays they had three timeouts so which means on the fourth play they would have we'd have to kick the ball back to them but if we were able to if they were if we were able to move the ball 10 yards and get what they call a fresh set of downs or a first down that the timeout nothing they, they couldn't they couldn't get the ball back anyway that's what ended up happening we ended up getting the first down they used up their timeouts and we just ran the clock out and won the game 49 to 48 uh, gosh Same. They haven't, this Murrieta Valley hasn't beaten Vista Murrieta in years. And it was like a huge, huge thing. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was really crazy. And, and Alex, he's what his title on the team is he's the offensive coordinator. He's the guy that calls all the plays that our team runs. And people were just, they couldn't have been more happy with him. They were congratulating him. He was like the hero of the night for calling a great game. And so the last game the team has is tonight. They play, they're playing on a Thursday night because of the pandemic. There's a shortage of referees. So they had to do a Thursday night game instead of a Friday night game. So there'd be enough referees on Friday night. So they're playing that. If they win tonight. They win their league championship, which is amazing in itself. And they're also going to be starting the, the, the state playoffs next, next week. So they'll be in the playoffs. Uh-huh. And, and the, and the, the interesting thing is in the first round in the state playoffs, Alex could be facing <clears throat> facing the team from up here where he coached last year. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so that'll be some drama too. So I'll keep you posted on where that goes. Oh, but fantastic! It made for a great weekend. He was he was happy. I mean, he was so nervous before the game. I've never seen him so <laughs> nervous. Um, and uh, he 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 pulled out all the stops. He did a great job. The team played great. A lot of the kids that are on these teams are going to you know name schools around the country, Oregon, USC. Um, Boise State, lots, you know, Arizona State. There's, there these, some of these kids are, are that talented; they're going to these big schools. So, so, it, you know, it 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 made the Dodger loss, you know, palatable.
0: Well, thank you for sharing it. Let's hope that Alex and the team can pull it off today. I was with you every play during the last 10 minutes, while well, you've been describing on the edge of my seat. I'm sure everybody at home, even though we perhaps don't understand the subtlety of, of your, your game, uh, we know just how much it means to you and to your family. Thank you for an extraordinary programme this week. You've been listening to American Cousins. I've been Andrew David, and it's been recorded at around about 4 o'clock on Thursday, the 20th of October, Can we wish you and yours, Bruce, all the very best. Keep safe. And um, thank you for sharing so personally uh, your thoughts and reflections uh, in the first part about Stu's passing and about uh, Jean's illness. And we wish Jean all the very best and uh, we pass on our very best uh, condolences to uh, Evan and the family.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. And, again, as, as we end every week, uh, for everybody, all of our friends and family up there in Lincoln, stay safe, be healthy, and you know, make sure that we can, uh, you're healthy enough and, and, and around next week we can talk to you all again. It's, it's always a pleasure.